to see everybody here. We're so blessed. I've got a little story I want to tell you about Bob. Bob. Bob was in trouble. He forgot his wedding anniversary, and his wife was really angry, as we do. Are you serious? <laughs> you can... Tina! I'll take this one off. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that if I take this one off, I'm not sure. Hello. Okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, we, we were talking about Bob, who was in trouble with his wife because he forgot his wedding anniversary. His wife was really angry. And she told him, tomorrow morning, I expect to find a gift in the driveway that goes from zero to 200 in six seconds. And it better be there. The next morning, Bob got up early and left for work. When his wife woke up, she looked out the window, and sure enough, there was a box gift-wrapped in the middle of the driveway. She was confused. So she put on her robe and ran out to the driveway. She brought the box back into the house, opened it, and found a brand-new bathroom scale. Zero to 200 in six seconds. Bob has been missing since Friday. <laughs> like those guys, they just don't get it, do they? Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'd like to thank Pastor Kreloff and Pastor MacArthur and others for helping understanding this wonderful book of Genesis. God begins his book of Genesis at the very beginning with its creation of the heavens, the earth, the sun, the moon, all living creatures, and everything that exists. God is brief, and in only 10 words describes him breathing all creation into existence. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Why does God open the book of Genesis with only 10 words? Why aren't we given more details about creation? Earth is tiny in relation to the universe. Yet God presents his creation around this planet and this earth. Why? What is the purpose and message of Genesis? Obviously, God did not mean it as a chronicle about creation designed to answer every scientific question of man. God's purpose was to give the nation of Israel information about themselves. Moses wrote Genesis from Mount Sinai after the Jews had come out of bondage in Israel and in Egypt. Israel was a newly formed nation, and God wanted them to know where they came from, where they were going, and why. 
who they were, why they were leaving Egypt, why Canaan, why did God choose them? Genesis is 50 chapters long, starting with creation and ending with Joseph dying in Egypt. It is divided into two principal parts. The first part, 1 through 11, is what we'll be studying this semester. It gives a general history of mankind is about one-fifth of the book of Genesis and covers over 2,000 years in history. There are four major events in 111, 1 through 11. Creation, the fall of man, the flood and Noah, and the Tower of Babel and the dispersion of the nations. The second part is four-fifths of Genesis and covers only 300 years. It is the early history of Israel with four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, one family. It is the foundation for the rest of the book, which is the call of Abraham and God's dealing with him and his descendants. That is in chapters 12 through 50, which we will be studying the next two years. Part two, chapters 12 through 25, will study in the fall of 2022, and part three, chapters 25 through 50, in 2023. Jews do not call the book Genesis. They call it in the beginning, which in the Hebrew is one word, which I cannot pronounce. The word Genesis comes from the Septuagint, the oldest Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, meaning origin or source. Genesis was primarily written to the Jews, but it was also written to us for our understanding. How do we apply God's message to Israel to ourselves today? If the book is to Israel, why study? Because without Genesis, we couldn't understand the rest of the Bible. It is the foundation for all true history, the foundation for all true science, the foundation of all true philosophy. Genesis is critical to our understanding of life. We can't get a biblical worldview without Genesis. For instance, the origin of man. God created man in his image. Man was not evolved. Life is sacred. Marriage, one man, one woman for life, especially these days when gullible people claim that men and women can change because they want to. And there are an unlimited number of genders. Yikes! And they believe it. Without Genesis, we won't have God's perspective. It gives the origin of man's sinful nature. How can we understand salvation if we don't understand our sin or the real wickedness of rebellion? We learn the origin of languages and governments and nations. Why is the nation of Israel so special to God? Because Genesis is so critical to our understanding of life, it is viciously attacked by critics. If Genesis is discredited, then the rest of the Bible is discredited. If Genesis is not true, why would Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and other book of, and books in the Bible be true? 
The first attack is usually the authorship. Moses didn't see creation, and some questioned the divine interpretation or inspiration. So how could he have written it? But all the weight of evidence is Moses, who perhaps had visions or dreams or ancient records or oral traditions or perhaps all of them. The Bible never specifically states he wrote the book, but Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis is the first. Collectively, they are called the Pentateuch, which in the Greek means the fivefold books, and Jews call them the Torah, that is, the law. And the Bible does state that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Jesus speaking. Joshua 1.7, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Luke 24.44, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. John 5.46 and 47, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If Jesus says it, it's a fact. Another attack is how to interpret the Bible. Is it symbolic? Is it a poem? Is it religious truth but not factual? Are Adam and Eve symbolic representations of man? Historic facts are not important, they say, just the religious symbolism. The Bible has to be believed as literal, and it is presented that way, not symbolic. Always clear and presented in a way you understand as literal. For instance, Old Testament scripture is presented as historical in Psalm 136, verses 5 through 9, which speaks about creation. God made the heavens, the earth, great light, sun, moon, stars. And verse 10 describes the Passover story. So creation and Passover are presented in the same way as historical fact. Jesus interprets as historical and literal, Matthew 24, 37 and 38, where the coming of the Son of Man will come again like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. He was speaking of a literal Noah and a literal flood and of literal marriage and literal men and women. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Adam was a real person. The third attack is usually in the area of science. There is no conflict between true science and the Bible. The problem is between scientific theory and the Bible. Evolution is theory and not very scientific. Today, even unbelievers are questioning evolution, and many scientists accept the biblical account. The Bible does not communicate in scientific language. What is given is in relation to men. A lot of people try to answer evolutionary text. 
Pastor Kreloff says, be concerned about verses, not evolution. What can actually be proven? No one was at creation to see it. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand creation. 1 Corinthians 2.14, natural man doesn't accept the truths of God. They seem foolish to him. If there is a creator, then man is answerable to him. So natural man says it never happened. Natural man wants to be answerable to no one. John MacArthur has very interesting sermons on the subject of evolution and creation. One fact he shared absolutely blew my mind. Quoting from John MacArthur and his sermon entitled, Creation, Believe It or Not, Part 2. He talks about Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. In other words, day and night, everything in the universe speaks of a creator God. Just look at the creation, look at the universe, look at the heavens and their expanse, and everything that he's created in the day and in the night, and it's clear. Everyone on the globe can look out and see the creative evidence of a creator God. The psalmist David goes on to talk about the fact that he has made the created universe a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. He picks that one body out of the great expanse of the universe, the one that most dominates our life, the one that is closest to us in terms of a star that has the greatest impact on us, the sun. And he says about the sun that it runs its circuit from one end of heaven to the other, so that nowhere in the created universe is its heat not felt. Quoting Pastor MacArthur, one of the things that science has discovered in modern times is that the sun is in orbit. We talk about the sun as the center of our solar system and everything orbiting around it, but you need to know that science has discovered that the sun itself has an orbit. And this orbit goes from one end of the infinite space to the other. The sun is moving and dragging our entire solar system with it. It is not fixed any more than the things that revolved around it are fixed. My whole life I have heard that the sun is stationary and planets orbit around it. How amazing is it that we're learning the sun is not still but also has an orbit. So David says you can look up and you can look at the universe and look at creation and it gives you loud testimony to the glory of God, to the majesty of his intelligence, the massive character of his power to create all of this. I'm sure in the future scientists will discover more incredible facts about God's creation that are unknown now and will be amazing to behold. Praise him, praise him, give glory to our God. How can anyone not believe in God? The very first page of your lesson packet is a series of questions entitled Scientific Questions Related to Genesis. It is not part of the first lesson, but something to ponder and perhaps take up at a later date. Questions such as, why do scientists claim the Earth is millions of years old when the Bible does not seem to support this? 
Or, where did Cain and Seth, the sons of Adam and Eve, get their wives? And my favorite, did Adam have a navel? Since he didn't have a mother. <laughs> I love that. I hope you're as excited as I am about this study and look forward to spending time in fellowship with each other. Let's pray. Dear precious Heavenly Father, we just are so grateful to you for all you have given us, Lord. For the heavens, for the beautiful heavens and the beautiful earth that you've given us. Given us. And we're grateful for each other, Father, and we're grateful for this Bible study, Lord, and the wonderful book of Genesis. We just pray that each lady here will learn much and continue coming and doing their lessons. All of us do our lessons. And just honor you and worship you and live in awe of you, Father. We thank you for our fellowship. We thank you for this time together. And we praise your holy, holy name. Amen.